Today is June 5th, 2019, and I'm going to read a little about my father, Carl O. Mitchell. My name is Kathleen Mitchell Abram. Carl Orton Mitchell, my father. I feel incredibly blessed to have been raised and to be loved by two such good parents as Alice and Carl. I think I had somewhat of an idyllic childhood and was so protected in my home and in the little community of Parowan that I didn't realize life could be difficult until I moved away at the age of 20. My parents, and especially my father, had a very positive, happy outlook on life and felt that life was basically wonderful. Even when things were difficult, he conveyed the idea that difficulties would pass and underlying everything, life was still good. He enjoyed working hard, and I never heard him complain until very recently with pain or say that he was unhappy about the many jobs he had to do. Both of his vocations, a sheep herder slash livestock man and then a builder, were very physically demanding jobs. He never complained. I loved him for instilling in me the idea that life is for living with enthusiasm. He was the basis, along with mom, of course, of my testimony in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He honored his priesthood by always accepting callings in the church. He went on two missions, gave blessings to his family. He wrote numerous letters to us expressing his conviction of the reality of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. He bore his testimony in church on a regular basis and studied the church principles by reading many books by authorities of those principles in addition to the scriptures. He was constantly studying the gospel. He taught the importance of tithing and donations by example. I feel that I've always believed Joseph Smith and his declaration because of the faithfulness of my parents. Dad stood about 5'10", about the same as mom. He had a very sturdy build, not fat, not thin. His hair in his youth was very dark brown. Later, he became bald on top, but had the loveliest white hair around the edges. I cut his hair many times. I loved doing it. He worked hard with his hands and his body his whole life, so he was really a very strong man. He used to tell me that as a carpenter, he could drive a 10-penny nail in two pounds, once an easy one to set the nail, and one more to drive it home. I think one of dad's middle names is horses. During Clark's childhood, dad did live in the saddle. Those were his herding, ranching, sheep and cattle days. During my childhood, he was either riding or wanting to ride. Horses never lost their fascination for him, even when he was no longer in the business. He was an excellent horseman and was so loving and gentle with his horses that it sometimes made me weep. He broke horses that no one else seemed to be able to do. He did it with patience and kindness. He thought trust from animals was almost as important as trust from people. I think watching him with horses and his other animals was indicative of his whole character. He was responsible, loving, and trustworthy. Dad was only 21 when Clark was born, so Clark always said he and Dad grew up together. They spent their days riding horses and working in the Perron Mountains. During dad's boyhood and young adulthood, he and his two older brothers, Albert and Douglas, were given the assignment of sheep herders of grandfather's flock 
during the summer months. In the wintertime, the sheep were kept in Lower Perwin Valley, but in May or June, all the Mitchell cowpokes would drive the sheep up to Grandfather's summer range, about 10 miles or so into the Dry Lakes country, Grandfather's mountain land. The sheep, of course, had to be watched so they wouldn't wander away. But still, that left a lot of free time during those days for the three brothers to find things to do. One of their favorite pastimes was to memorize readings and stories to be recited to the families in the evenings. They regaled their family with funny readings, such as Young Albert, a story about a boy going to the zoo and teasing a lion, until the lion, named Wallace, grabbed the boy and swallowed him whole. Another was Albert Comes Back. Wallace coughs Albert up, thereby cheating his parents out of the insurance money. They send him back to the zoo to see what the tigers can do. Herbert and the Electricity was another funny reading, along with The Two Grogans, the story of a good old Irish all-night drinking and brawling party. That reading required audience participation. Three a pence a foot was a funny story about Noah trying to strike a bargain with Sam for some wood to panel the sides of his bunk in his ark. We loved Alaska, touch of the master's hand, and the cremation of Sam McGee. By the time I was born, every Mitchell at the reunions had heard these stories so many times, most of them had them memorized. No matter, everyone still laughed at the funny parts. Dad was such an entertainer. The readings were given with an English or Irish or Scottish accent as each required. Uncle Albert also memorized one called David and Goliath. What do you think? He hit him right betwixt the temple and the synagogue. Oh, how I love to hear my dad and uncles do these readings. Dad absolutely loved horses. Dad wrote a story about an experience he had with horses. It seemed that his friend, Newell Waite, had just purchased a horse. The new horse was running in the valley with a band of horses. Dad went with Newell to get the horse. They had to somehow corral the whole band of horses in order to separate Newell's horse out to take him home. They tried several times on foot to round up the band and get them in the enclosure, but the horses would not cooperate. Here is what Dad wrote. Well, we would soon find out if we could catch old Prince. Feeling unequal to the task and a little bit foolish, we started out on foot, circling the horses into a bunch and then starting them for the corral on a plateau about a quarter mile away. The enclosure was constructed of poles about 50 yards square with a gate on the south side. Our plan, of course, was to drive them through the gate into the corral. Their plan, of course, was to avoid going in the gate at all costs. With a frontal attack, we decided to try to drive them from the east along the north side, thence south along the west side, and then back east again on the south side, close to the gate. Well, they ran past the gate and out into the pasture again faster than we could head them off, leaving us somewhat discouraged. We tried again, but with only two of us, we just couldn't run fast enough to get the horses in the gate. I had noticed that there were a lot of baling wire lying around, and I came up with an idea. We tied these lengths of wire end to end until we had about a 50 foot length. We tied one end of the wire to the corral fence just east of the gate, about four feet high, then pulled the wire tight, full length to the south. 
Then we took all our clothes off, but our shoes and underwear, and tied each piece of clothing, four socks, two shirts, two hats, and two pants, to the long wire at five or six feet intervals. Inasmuch as the one end of the wire was tied high to the fence, one could pull hard on the other end and raise the items of clothing four to five feet off the ground. Our plan now was to round up the horses as before and follow our last procedure. We began again, handling the animals very slowly and deliberately. We had played and fussed around them enough by now that they were not afraid of us anymore. Moreover, they'd just been over this same route with no ill effects, so they were comp comparatively easy to handle. We got them to the east side of the enclosure and I ran to the loose end of the ghost wire. When the leader, an old mare of the band, got near the gate, she increased her pace a little to be sure she got past the gate. I reared back on the end of the ghost wire and suddenly, 10 ghosts of varying sizes rose up in front of her. She whirled and went through the gate as if she was hunting protection. The rest of the band followed and from there, it was easy to separate old Prince from his friends. Dad loved telling stories about himself and laughing about himself. I'll continue on part two. Here's part two of my memories of my father, Carl Orton Mitchell. My father was an actor also. He performed in many plays with so many of his Perwin friends. We have pictures of him in bowler hats, Indian costumes, English dandy costumes with ruffles everywhere and a monocle. He always called Lalan Orton Cox after a play they did together. And he still called Connie Halderman Maudie for the same reason. For me, my dad was just plain fun to be with. He had many interests and could be counted on to join in any game or trip or play if he could possibly. During my Growing up years, he worked in Cedar City and would come home with stories of the day. At one time, he was remodeling the fish and game offices in Cedar City and was absent-mindedly singing up a lazy river all day. He said, finally, one of the secretaries called down and said, Carl, your singing is beautiful, but could you please change the record? He laughed at himself and loved seeing us laugh too. On his Cedar City commute, he listened to KSUB and would come home in the house singing the latest funny song he had heard. I remember especially hearing him sing, I'm too old to cut the mustard anymore, and I got a lovely bunch of coconuts. He loved singing, period. He knew more songs than anyone I've ever known. He has sung us songs from his elementary school days, from his high school operettas, cowboy songs with all the verses, 40s and 50s popular songs, and probably 75% of all the hymns in the hymn book with all the verses. He could remember all the songs he had sung with his barbershop quartets. He made up songs. He made up new words to old songs. I can still remember so many of the songs he taught me. Here's a song that he and his brother Albert made up to an old popular song in the shade of the old apple tree. I think it used to be a love song from the 30s or 40s. In the shade of the old apple tree, 
Pete Wimmer sat down on a bee. He jumped up in haste with his hand on the place and he yelled out, out loudly, oh gee. Well, he wasn't stung on the face. Indeed, I won't mention the place. He just looked around, didn't want to sit down in the shade of the old apple tree. <laughs> he loved singing with community choirs and with his ward choir. I never remember sitting with my parents in church because they always sat up front in the choir seats. He disciplined me in church by either giving me the evil eye if I was being irreverent or mouthing I love you. He loved the ward choir. He sang a solo in the Christmas cantata for 50 years. The last time he was 92 years old. Come, thou long expected Jesus will always bring tears to my eyes. He loved playing his guitar. By the way, I learned just recently that he learned to play because a certain young woman, Alice, played the ukulele and he wanted to impress her, so he had her teach him fingerings. I have wonderful memories of family reunions in the living room with his playing and all my aunts and uncles singing together. He used to play guitar in dance bands with various groups of Parowan buddies. Ivan Decker, Andy Burton, and I think Berta Mitchell played a lot together. They all played by ear and could play about any song that was requested. One time, they were to play in Milford for a dance. Berta couldn't go, so Ivan brought his daughter, June, to play the piano. June could only play with music, and after a few tries, they realized that the only number that June could play in their key was In the Mood. Dad said they played In the Mood every other piece, and the Milford gang was so looped that they cheered every time. No one really seemed to notice that the dance band had only one number. Now, I'm really not sure how he came up with the idea to be Santa's messenger in the annual Christmas Eve program at the church. All the families came and sang carols and waited for Santa to come. This was in the chapel before we had a recreation hall. Dad would trot down the aisle and deliver updates on Santa's progress to Perwin by saying something like, I just got word that Santa is flying over Buckhorn Flat. He still needs to visit Paraguna and then he'll be walking in that door. All the kids would gasp and get even more excited. One night he said, Santa has had a little delay because Donner and Blitzen had a disagreement about which way to turn and they've got their horns locked. It's going to take them a few minutes to get untangled. The kids would gasp and start worrying that maybe Santa wouldn't get to Perwin at all. One night he said, did you know that Santa has an extra reindeer this year? His name is Olaf. You know, Olaf the other reindeer used to laugh and call him names. The adults laughed at this one. One year he worked the kids up and Santa threw a rope down from the balcony. This was in the chapel and slid down into the pews. Clark still remembers that the kids were so excited that they were jumping up and down. I was always so awed by the fact that it was my dad that Santa gave his messages to. I've always felt so blessed to have Carl as my father. When I was little, I jumped from the hayloft into his arms. It was scary, 
but I absolutely knew he would catch me. When he told me stories in bed at night, I would squeal with delight when Jack cut down the beanstalk and his stiff upraised arm would come crashing down onto the quilts while he called, Timber! My very first memories of dad were when I was very little and he rocked me to sleep. I can remember looking up into his face and seeing the ceiling and hearing the songs like, Baila, baila, bubby dear, bubby dear, bubby dear, sleep Kentucky babe and there were three crows set in a tree, oh, Billy McGee, McGaw. He was a tender, sweet daddy. Every night after work, as soon as he got home, he went across the street to the corral to milk Betsy, our Jersey cow. He would say, well, I guess I'll go juice the moose now. Betsy was such a good-tempered old girl. Dad played a game with her. He would set his bucket and three-legged stool right out in the middle of the pasture. Betsy would see him and walk over to where he was sitting, sidle up to him and put her leg back, ready to be milked. Dad would milk a while and then say, Betsy, I'm just not comfortable. I think I'll go sit closer to the barn. So he'd move, sit somewhere else, and Betsy would follow, sidle up, and get ready as before. Dad loved telling us about this game. Sometimes I would go with him. On the way back across the street, one of us would say, I bet I can beat you home. Dad made a big show of running hard. His tools in his overalls would rattle and his work boots would thump on the road. But somehow, I would always win. He was also a dancer. In the kitchen tile, he could tap out with his feet, shave and a haircut, six bits. It sounded best when he had his Sunday shoes on. He would say, okay, are you ready? Like we'd never seen him do this before or like he had just discovered how to tap dance. And then with finesse, a big grin and his arms out like he had to balance just right. Shave and a haircut, six bits. When I was little, he taught me a dance to do with him. We'd hold hands facing each other. Heel, toe, away we go, do si do, a do si do, and so on. Often when mom and I were in the kitchen doing supper or something, he would grab one of us and dance us around the room like he was a professional ballroom dancer. When we trip over each other's feet, he would laugh at us and himself. When I was a junior in high school and getting ready for the junior prom, I could hardly wait for the part after the class promenade when the students went to the sidelines and asked their parent to dance. I knew dad and I had practiced so often in the kitchen that we knew how to do it. Dad was a loving caretaker and a devoted husband for my mother, and with what respect he always treated her. What a devoted son and brother he was. What a beloved grandfather he was, and how hard he worked to create good memories for his grandchildren. How he loved being Grandpa Great to seven great-grandchildren. How generous he was. What an excellent writer and journal keeper he was. What a strong testimony of the gospel he had and how seriously he took his church callings. What a loving priesthood holder he was in our home. What an excellent builder he was and how many homes, cabinets, stairs, porches, and walls he has built for people in Perwin and Cedar City over the years. Dad loved working with his hand, building things, horses, Perwin, sourdough and mutton, 
the Perwin Mountains, crossword puzzles with Katie and Mert, jigsaw puzzles, the Christmas cantata, the people of Perwin, cowboy songs, reading gospel books, jokes, parties, playing skip bow with the skip bow gang, gardening, road trips and traveling, inventing time saving and handy gadgets, neighbors, telling funny stories, telling funny stories on himself, carpenter overalls with pockets for everything, jumpsuits, Velcro shoes, ginger snaps. He loved Alice, Clark, Mary, Kathy, Doug, Carrie, Russell, Kylie, Bonnie, Paul, Kendall, Colleen, Laurel, Karen, and Bradley. After mom died, he lived by himself for two years until he was 94. One year he came to Salt Lake and we decided it was time we just kept him living with us. He lived alternately with Clark and me. He was so pleasant and easy to get along with. He complained very little. At the end, he developed stomach cancer and it didn't take very long until his death. Like mom, he just gradually deteriorated until he was in a coma. One Sunday morning while we were in church and Karen had come over to be with him, she was outside pulling a weed or two. He just slipped away and was gone. I still get so lonesome for him. I want to ride horses and sing with him in heaven.